Wow, so good to be here with you this weekend. It's good to be with friends again and see loved ones I haven't seen for a long time. Deeply appreciate that. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for having me down. I appreciate it. Grateful for it. When I was a little boy, not even kindergarten yet, my family moved to a farm. We weren't farmers, but the, the rent was right. And the first day on the farm, we wanted to explore everything, and a brother, one year older than me, stepped in what he thought was a cow patty, which he had never seen before, and sunk up to his hip in manure. And it turned out to be what we thought was a bottomless pit of manure. My mother was livid because when they pulled him out, he lost one of his brand new shoes. So he's walking around with one shoe. She was so mad, she got my oldest brother to reach into the pit, up to his pit, <laughs> trying to find that new shoe. This was in a day, if you had a pair of shoes, it was something. And so that's how the day began. That was the first day on the farm. And it got worse. <laughs> so they went to explore the back 40, found an apple tree in the middle of a pasture, and thought they'd struck gold until the bull showed up and chased them up the tree where they spent the rest of the day. And no one knew where they were. It wasn't until the, the farmer came in the evening just as the sun was going down to check on his heifers that he found these two little kids up in the tree with the bull at the base of the tree. And he had been butting his head against the tree, keeping them up there. I thought about it, and I, I realized that the bull, in his anger, in his rage, misjudged them. He thought this seven and ten-year-old were interested in his heifers. <laughs> and nothing could have been further from the truth. <laughs> but it's interesting that when you read Scripture, anything about bulls, if you read about the bulls of Bashan that, that David writes about, and David's a prophet. Stephen said he was a prophet, and... David got so far out in the spirit that he got out into the spirit of Jesus and actually experienced in Jerusalem what Jesus would experience on the cross uh, decades later, hundreds of years later. I mean, he really got out in the spirit. And he, one of his psalms is about the bulls of Bashan that are at the foot of the cross and they're snorting and they're gaping with their mouths and they're, they're judgmental of, of Jesus. 
And um, they've completely misjudged them. Just same as that bull had misjudged those boys, thinking that they wanted his heifers. And the nature of bulls is to, is to get angry very quickly, and they can do a lot of damage. They can hurt people. I had a call from a guy one time who had, had a, a pet bull, and the bull didn't even have horns, but in this moment of anger, turned on him and butted him and, and put its, its great big head on his chest and broke his sternum and ribs. The only thing that saved his life is he rolled underneath an electric fence and his wife got him to the hospital. And, and I, I, I just, I see, I see bullish anger in me sometimes where it's that sudden flush of anger because I've concluded something. It might be about another driver. It might be about something I read. It might be something that I saw or heard. And I, I should know better by now, but, but that flush of anger oftentimes, uh, and how many times have you had it happen like me where, where then the facts come out and I'm embarrassed because I was so angry so quickly, but I totally misjudged it. Oops. I concluded, I concluded something about somebody or some circumstance that made me flare up. And that anger, that anger is a blind kind of anger that uh, can float around in our system until it hurts our bodies can actually hurt us physically. But it's a, it's a bullish kind of thing. And there's, there's a thing, uh, I switched subjects just briefly, but there's a thing called koinia. And koinia is one of the sweetest things God's ever created. And koinia is, 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 is communion. It's where we get the communion. It's where we get partnership. It's where we get fellowship. And Jesus so longed for koinia that he would come down in the cool of the day just to be with Adam, just to hang out together. It's one of the most beautiful pictures. They could hear him coming in the cool of the day just to spend time together. And I don't think it was him saying, okay, Adam, what did you name today? Of all the angels of heaven, the myriads of angels that he breathed into existence, he wasn't able to enjoy a full measure of koinia with them. And it really wasn't till he created man in his image and, and a man who could choose and a man who could, he could relate to. And, and God did all that and then created the world to house this man for a longing of koinia. It's one of his most cherished things. And, and uh, you see it again in the New Testament, a, a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to a church and he knocks at the door of the church. He's not, we, we misread that. We, we preach that. We take that out of context and we use it in an evangelistic track. But he's actually standing at the door and knocking at the door of a church. Christians, 
longing for fellowship. And he says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. So there's an exchange of food. He comes with food to feed us, and we have food that feeds him. And it's just a powerful picture of, of of the hunger of Jesus just to have koinia. And a lot of our koinia that we create in our church is all, it does center around food, and we don't apologize for that. I think that's one of the mediums of, of koinia. It's, and you see it all through the Bible. You see it all through Jesus' ministry. Just do a study sometime of Jesus and food. It's astounding how often it comes up. And, and food, and the, and the Corinthians totally missed it. They went for the food and missed the koinia, and they were approved by Paul because they came to eat. He says, what, don't you have homes that you can eat in? I mean, is it, is, you've missed it. You've missed the koinia for food. And so the father's seeking koinia. He, he created a body so he could have koinia, and he wants us to have koinia. And the church is really a place that's supposed to be built around koinia that people can come and be known and to know, and, communi- and communicate, and relate. Everybody on the planet is hungry. We have a God-shaped vacuum, but part of that vacuum is, is a hunger for koinia. That's why there's Elks Club. That's why there's Moose Lodge. That's why there's volunteer fire departments. They're looking for koinia. They're hungry for it. They want to partner. They want to relate. They want to know. They want to be known. They want to do things together, and there's, uh, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And knowing koinia and how valuable it is, and that it's, a, it's something that's in every heart, we can move into fulfilling that in people, and they will come to church, and they'll stay. They'll stay for the koinia. People are hungry for koinia, aren't you? What does that have to do with bulls? Well, bulls are a picture of being judgmental. They're always judgmental. I was called into a church where there was, the pastor had become a bull and was hurting people, goring people, and snorting mad. And because I was a friend of the church, they invited me to come in, and, and I was astounded as I sat at the table listening to his side of the story how how much he looked like a bull. He had, his, his neck became engorged and his face became red and he would lower his head as if to bunt me. And, and the anger, and, 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 and all I could do is by the Holy Spirit put a ring in his nose and lead him out of the church so he wouldn't do any more damage. God showed me a way to lead him out and he was on the outside looking in and had no idea how he got there. But he stopped hurting people. And he would go through a list of every member of the church and what was wrong with them and would just snort. And, and he was wrecking the church. He was ruining the koinia that was very, very rare, very special in that place. So Jesus has given this sermon and in Luke, 
I'm sorry, I said Luke, Matthew 7, sorry, Matthew 7. So he's given this powerful sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he gets to chapter 7, and he says, do not judge, judge not, that you be not judged, judge not. Jesus is telling us not to be judgmental, and one of the... if you just stop, just this, this verse alone is, is like a, you ever remember when you are a kid, you'd get near an old well and you'd drop a rock in it and you would listen to see how long it took for it to hit the water? This is a deep verse. You could, you could spend a long time just in this verse. But it's Jesus speaking and he's saying, don't be judgmental because we are. We are. We judge people, we, we can make conclusions about people, we define people, we describe people to other people and say, this is the way they are. And the thing about it is it's such a koinia killer. And I know this firsthand, I know it in several levels. I, I know the times that my wife and I, where we stop talking it's because we've made conclusions, and, and communication is, is central to koinia. You can't have koinia without communication. That's why God really does want to talk to the church, because it's central to koinia. It's central to fellowship. You can't have much fellowship without talking. But it's funny, when my wife and I stop talking, it's because we've made conclusions about each other. You are this way. And you'll always be this way. There's no point in talking. It's the same old thing. It's been happening all along. And you are thus. And sometimes it's with the snort of a bull. And it's a koinia killer. I, I did something last year that shocked me. I, I, I ran the risk of going back into... Uh, my memory of all the relationships that I've loved. I mean, people that I truly enjoyed being with, that I didn't just pastor, but I, I liked to be with, who I'm, I'm no longer with. It was painful to go back and to create a list of them and, and bring them before the Lord. And, and, and in every single instance... No exception. What killed our koinia is I either judge them or they judge me. And once that happened, there's no more room to talk. There's no more reason to be together. It, it, more than any other factor, it killed our koinia. So when Jesus is saying, don't judge, don't be judgmental. It's because it, it, kills, it kills everything. In fact, uh, probably the, the, the most judged person on the planet, most judged person of all time, is our Father God. And when we conclude things about Him, the first thing that we do is we stop talking to Him. We can't pray, we can't worship. I see it all the time. I see people and they say, I'm mad at God. Do I, can I forgive God? I'm mad at Him. 
They no longer pray. They no longer hear from God. There's a, a total breach in the koinia. There are a lot of people who in their, in their bull-like anger conclude that God is a certain way. Well, why would, you, why would you want to spend time with someone like that? You wouldn't. Most of my early Christian life, I, I liked Jesus. I loved Jesus, but I didn't like the Father. I judged him wrongfully. I, I pictured him as an angry old man who would fly off the handle, who was only interested in our tithe and was impatient, and, and we had, to, had a stick that would just make us jump through hoops, and I totally miscast him. It really wasn't until, and I loved Jesus, but as I was reading what Jesus would say, he would talk about the Father in a way that began to work its way in my heart, and, and I totally misjudged him. I can hear when people, how they refer to him. There's people who, when they say, my father, there's this affection, there's a sweetness, there's, it's drenched with koinia. And then there's other people who refer to him as father God, but it's distant, it's cold. It's, then there's people who it's just God, but it sounds different. It sounds like there's no koinia happening. As I made my list, I was astounded at all the broken relationships in my wake. And most of them were because I misjudged them or they completely judged me and it made me angry that they judged me, that they thought of me that way. And if that's the way they think of me, it's over. And there's no more relationship, no more communion, no more communication. And it really... That come out of a, a painful thing of, of a marriage. Uh, I've, I've only had one couple that I've married in all these years that divorced. And, and uh, extremely painful. And even that divorce, looking back on it, wasn't necessary. And it was such a grief to me that it, it was a judgment that was made, that was declared, that killed that marriage. And there were things that were wrong. There were things that were done that were wrong. And, and the person would apologize. And then the other one would say, you are always this way. You always do this. This is the way you are. And, they, and would name with psych, psychology terms, defining the person as this. Well, once you do that, why, how can you even restart the koinia? It's a koinia killer. And it was such a grief to me. And then, then the Lord brought it around, and I realized I had done, I'd done that many times myself. It was like a, like a bull where I just got angry and, and concluded wrongfully that they were a certain way. Now what I do is I trace anger back. Anger, anger is a manifestation, but it's not the root. If you chase chase that down and track it down, you can actually take it back and it either comes out of pride, which is usually steeped in judgmental, being judgmental, or being judgmental. The, the, the anger, talk about anger management and the need to subdue your anger. It, anger is not really the issue. It's just a manifestation of something that's deeper. And it's usually because we've concluded certain things about people. 
When Jesus says, do not judge that you be not judged, it just made me think, well, by who? Well, <laughs> by the person you're judging. As soon as you judge a person and you conclude that they're a certain way, you give off a certain scent, a certain feel, and they, they can perceive that. They may not know what you're thinking, but they can feel what you give off, just like you feel a bull. And, and you give off something, and so then next thing you know, they hold you at arm's length, and there, there's this thing that comes out where it's like there's something wrong with you. And next thing you know, you're feeling that from them, and you say, well, if that's the way they are, that just confirms my original judgment that they're not very good Christians or they're bad people or whatever the judgment is. And so you give off a, a, a bit of a hold, them, hold up your hand, and next thing you know, they feel that, and they say, well, wait a minute. If that's the way they feel, and there's no words being spoken, it's like an Israeli-Palestinian conflict right within that relationship that just continues to spiral down. And someone has to break that. Someone has to go the other way where, where you do something kind, you do something good that breaks it, that, that turns the, it starts to spinning going the other way. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these chapters. I've seen it ruin marriages. I've seen it ruin churches. I've seen it ruin friendships in my own life. If I judge, I will be judged by that person. But there's other ways that this can come around. I can declare my judgments of them, and people who hear me will now hold me to a different standard. And they will judge me. It'll, it'll come up and bite me at some point in time, and they say, you said this about them. And now you're doing this. Next thing you know, it's coming back on me. So I'm not just being judged by the person, but the, those who hear me make my conclusions, my pronouncements, they will judge me. Then there's another thing. If I get a prescription of, of glasses that see the faults and failures of others, and I, and I can put them on and I can say, oh, and, and it's usually under the guise of being discerning. <laughs> and so I, I now have a new prescription where I can see faults and failures. Well, whoa, I'll, the same prescription is, is what, I, what I wear when I look at me. So then I'm, I'm opening myself up to another kind of uh, judgment called condemnation. Judas went to such an extent, we'll, we'll hear about this over the Easter season, I'm sure, but Jesus went, or Judas went to such an extent where he judged himself. Peter was forgiven. Judas judged himself unforgivable. And not only was judge and jury, but was executioner. Suicide is a form of judgment. And my, my own brother, one year older than me, put a gun in his mouth and shot himself, killed himself. In a fit of anger, in a rage, to hurt other people. 
and, he, and he, he, he not just hurt that person back, but he hurt my mother. My mother never recovered. Blew our minds. I mean, we just could never get our heads around what he did. But it was a Basham kind of thing. It was a bullish kind of thing. It was an anger kind of thing. And, and he, concluded, he concluded things about himself where he judged himself. He was the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That happens all the time. And what an astonishing thing to find out, and they do find out, that their judgment was completely wrong. Another way to interpret this, there's several ways. Judge not that you be not judged. There's a day. There's a day coming. It's called the day. It's the day of days. Uh, after this day, there are no more days. So it's the day. And it's a day like no other day. It's a, there's simply no other day like this day. And this is a day where everyone who's ever been, both angels and evil spirits and believers and unbelievers, will all gather together in one room. And the room is so, so vast it can contain everyone who's ever been. And the congregation of the righteous will come out and they'll be congregated together. Angels will be brought out that stayed faithful to the Lord. They'll be brought out and they'll be there and we will judge them. Hell and death will be emptied out and there's the angels that are reserved in darkness and chains and they're brought out to the light. They're brought out to this room and they're squinting and they're, they, they, they've been in, in, a, in a dark, hellish hold. And they're brought out and they're congregated. And then the congregation of the wicked are brought out and they're congregated together. And in the center of everything where everyone can see, the focal point of everything is a simple white throne. And Jesus will come and be seated. And Jesus is ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. He's the only one who's been given the authority by God to judge all mankind because he's a man who finished the race right. He finished it right. He did everything right. And he's the only one worthy. And he is the judge. It's not the Father who's going to judge us. It's Jesus. And there's a moment where we'll all be there. You'll be there. I'll be there. And the most astounding thing is you will be you. You'll look like you. You'll feel like you. You'll think like you. You will be you. You don't become something else. And there's no exemptions. And you will be there. I will be there. And the most amazing thing takes place where every name is called. And we make our way down to the front to be judged in front of everybody. And our lives will be completely made known. You'll see yourself being born, being brought out on your mother's knees. You'll see yourself grow up. You'll see every detail. It's, a, it's the most amazing film that's being filmed now. Most amazing film is being recorded, and it will be played for all to see. You will see it because you've never even seen it. And there's whole pieces that you've forgotten. And it's a whole perspective you've never seen before of your life. 
And, if, and, and it's not just you. It's behind the scenes. You'll see demons and what they did. That's why we will judge them. And we'll see angels and we'll judge them faithful. And we'll see them as a constant source of encouragement who will say, you can do this. You can obey. You can, you can win this thing. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going. And they're a constant source of encouragement. And they're messengers from God. And you'll see that we've heard them more than we ever realized before. We thought it was a, an idea, but it was actually put there by an angel. And our life will be completely made known in front of everything and everybody. And every detail of our life, everything we've ever said, our thoughts will be as real as our, our words. We'll actually see the very motives of our hearts. It'll be completely disclosed, completely made known. Everything that was done in secret will be completely made known. And the most amazing thing about this is not just my life. My name will be called. Your name will be called. This sermon will be played back again. We will hear the sermon. It better be right. It better be of God because it will be played back. And I will be judged on, an, on a completely different standard than anybody else because I have influence over the destinies of people's souls. And every sermon will be played with Jesus looking at me. And how I looked after his sheep. And they're his sheep. He's the chief shepherd. And how I loved them, how I treated them, how I pastored them, how I looked after what he entrusted to me will be completely judged by God. You will be there. There's no exemptions. You will be there. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, everything will be completely made known. And in part because there, there's a thing called perfect justice. Here, there's not much justice. There's so many things you can't see. You don't see the motives of other people's hearts. You don't know what's going on. There, there's no body to hide behind. You'll see what people really think. But our lives will be completely made known, and you'll say, oh, oh, I thought it happened this way, and now I see how it really happened. I saw what was really going on. I saw what was really said. I saw angelic activity. And, and the, the person who's being judged case by case Person by person, the person who's being judged more than anybody is Father God. And at the end of everything, all we'll, be, all we'll do is say, you were right. You were righteous. You were good. You were merciful. You were there. You were faithful. We misjudged you. We heard a lie. We believed it. We repeated it. We, we misconstrued your motives, your heart. And in every time that I'm judged or you're judged, it will judge God himself. We'll see it as it really is. So he's saying, don't judge because we don't have to. 
There's a day coming when everything will be disclosed. We don't need to. I'm getting in the habit. It's a hard habit to break. But I'm getting in a habit more and more of saying, I don't need to judge that. I don't need to decide that. I'm not their judge. Who made me a judge over them? I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot freer. I can just now, I'm free just to love them. Because that's what I will be judged by. I'm free just to say, Jesus will sort that out. Jesus will deal with that. He, he's their judge. I'm not their judge. But I will be judged by what I say, what I do, what I think, how I act, how I react, how bullish I am. Do you believe this? It's good news. If you think of it, it's really good news. Paul actually, I, where I got this from, I noticed that Paul kept referring to the day, but he longed for it. And I remember thinking, what is this that he's long? What kept him afloat? What kept him engaged on the journey? I mean, he endured so many hardships. What kept him in the game? What kept him going? And I think what it was is he wanted to get to that moment where he could stand 18 inches in front of Jesus and his whole life be revealed to the praise and glory of God. And he wanted his life to glorify Jesus. And he wanted Jesus to be proud of him. And he wanted people to see his heart. So he wrote to them, he says, don't judge me now. He says, I can't even judge myself very good. I'm a, I'm a lousy judge of me. I can't even judge me very well. I don't even know my own heart unless God helps me. So he said this. He said, let's, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, let's just wait for the day when everything will be revealed, including the motives of my heart. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, would raise money for his orphanage down in Georgia. And he was so persuasive. In fact, Benjamin Franklin would go to his meetings. He loved George Whitfield, loved to hear him preach. But he said, I learned to leave, leave my purse at home because every time George would go off talking about those orphans, I'd end up giving my whole purse. And he says, I decided to leave my purse at home, and then I'd get there, and I'd have to borrow money from everyone around me to give to George's mission. Well, George got a belly, and, and George uh, was so persuasive, people were envious, and other pastors were saying, what orphans? How do we know that money's getting to the orphans? How do we know? George is getting a belly. He's got a fine coat. How do we know the money's getting to the orphans? And they'd judge him. And then George would make them really mad by saying, oh, well, there's a day where you will see what I did with every farthing. You'll see what I did with every coin. You'll see how I lived in private. You'll see what kind of preacher I really am. And he would say it with no fear. He'd say it with no dread. He would say, oh, well, you'll see everything. You know, the day will declare it. What a freedom to be able to live in light of the day where everything will be judged accurately. What a freedom. Here, it's complicated. I preached this years ago in the Ukraine. We're traveling from church to church. And uh, one of the young guys on the team got angry with me. 
And we got back in the van after a meeting. And he said, I don't want to be judged with sinners. I don't think I'll be judged on the same day as sinners. I think they're judged separately. I think, I think you're misunderstanding it, Pan, that there's no way God would ever judge us together at the same time. And I remember said, saying, don't you want that to happen? Look at Stalin took your dad to the gulags in Siberia. Don't you want to be in the room when he's judged? Don't you want, to be, don't you want him in the room when you're judged and he's, he can see with his own eyes what it's like for a little boy to have their dad taken away and grow up without money and grow up with fear and grow up with a sense of loss and a vacancy in the home and, and how you prayed and how you forgave and how you, your mother would pray for Stalin, that he'd come to know the Lord. Don't you want Stalin in the same room? Of course you do. It's called perfect justice. There's no justice here, very little. Very little do we ever see of justice here. But injustice eats me up. Injustice makes me angry. Injustice consumes me until I realize, okay, there's a day. There's a day coming, a day when everything will be known and be declared and, and people will see it, I'll see it, they'll see it, God will see it. As long as he sees it, I can live with that. Do you see it? You don't have to judge. Life will be freer if you don't judge. But let's, let's just skim down here for a second. It talks about helping people by taking the plank out of our own eye and helping them. Then he says in verse 6, don't give that which is holy to dogs or Pearls before swine. Well, how do we know they're dogs? How do we know they're swine? Lest they trample them underfoot and rend you to pieces. Then he goes on talking about uh, false prophets entering in the narrow way, verses 13 and 14, 15, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. What's interesting is what he goes on to talk about, he's talking about thorn bushes that and knowing things by their fruit, and you know a tree by its fruit. What's fascinating about all this is he moves into a need for discernment. So we need to be discerning, but not judgmental. It takes maturity to be able to navigate back and forth between these two things. Anger is a big clue. Actually, when you really discern something from the Lord, you don't get angry the same. It moves you in a different way. It'll move you to turn over tables in a different kind of response. It'll move you to act differently. But he wants us to be discerning, but not judgmental. It's funny. The more judgmental I am, the less discerning I am. If I can park that thing and not engage it, actually I'm now free to begin discerning. And I have to discern. I, it's required of me. It's wrong not to discern. Discernment comes out of love. You can read that. Knowledge and discernment comes out of love. Paul wrote it, I think, to the Colossians. 
So the more, the more loving we are, the more we said, no, I don't want to lose this relationship. This is value. I love the koinia. So I, I, and I have to be discerning, but there's got to be a way to get around this. And so you, you go to communion, you go to com, uh, 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 conversation where you start talking and saying, says, don't judge anybody until you've heard their side of it. So you go to them face to face, no texting. Texting and email are the lowest forms of communication known to man. So he, he says, you go kneecap to kneecap, forehead to forehead, and you sit down and you say, I think this about you. Is it true? Jesus says, don't judge anyone until you've heard them. Talk about misjudgment. You're going to get into it, I'm sure, Tim, but Jesus was judged by his denomination, the high priest of his denomination, got the government involved, Pontius Pilate's involved, and they completely misjudged him. Isn't that wild? They even had it... False witnesses paid them, judged them at night. We weren't supposed to do any of that. I mean, the whole, the whole court case was botched from the beginning. Isn't that an amazing story when you see the misjudgment of Jesus? But then it all turns around, and we're all there. The congregation of the righteous, the angels are there. Hell and death are here, and they're all assembled, and names are being called. And all of a sudden, you'll hear it with your own ears. You will be there. You, this will happen. You'll see this. Caiaphas. Caiaphas steps out of his seat and begins the long walk down to Jesus. The one whose face he spit in. The one who said, are you the son of God? And now he's looking. And Jesus Jesus answered to Caiaphas when he asked him if he was the Son of God. He says, you will see the day when I'm seated, the right hand of... You'll see, you'll see me coming. You'll see this moment. And now everything's turned, and Caiaphas is green. He's, he's astonished. He's totally shocked because of what he did to the Messiah. And his whole, we'll see that scene. We'll see it play out. We'll see it as it really was. You'll see history as it really was. And you'll see Caiaphas stand before Jesus. And everyone else and the temple guards and, and the guys who fell back when he said, I am. They'll all be brought and they'll, they'll be standing there before Jesus. Pontius Pilate, his name will be called out. And he stood and he said, what is truth? And now he's standing in front of Jesus and everything that's ever been true is being revealed for what it really is. What a moment of justice. What an amazing moment. And you will be there and you will see it. You'll see it for what it really is. Now let me tell you two things and then we'll close. It's possible by faith through the blood of Jesus to edit your book now. Hallelujah. The things you've said, the things you've done, the things you've regretted can actually be washed away. They're not in some bag. They're not behind his back. They're not in, 
in, a, in the ocean, the deepest part of the ocean. They're not anywhere near the east or the west. They're actually, they, they cease to be because of the cross. They no longer are. And for anyone who'll say, Jesus, wash me, cleanse me. I confess that what I said, what I did, how I behaved, how I thought was wrong. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, and he will. And there's no more record. It's no longer, there's no record in heaven. There's no record in hell. There's no record. It's been nailed to the cross. That's why we glory in the cross. That's why we, that's why we love Easter so much. It's the story of the cross. Isn't that good news? You can have your, you can have your film edited. My pastor died and and was actually actually saw himself saw his film. He said it's 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 not three D. It's better. It's it's as, it's as real as this. He said. He said I saw myself being born. I saw myself. I saw uh, attitudes I had as a child. I saw things happen that I didn't understand. I I saw my whole life. He said I saw myself up until the point where I died, and then my life continued. And I asked the Lord, Why has my life continued? And He says, Because it's not my will that you die. I have a purpose. What you're seeing is what I wrote for you. It's a life I've written for you. And he noticed as he watched his film that there's pieces missing and there's conversations that are clipped and there's, the, the, there's parts where it jumps. It's like the, the movie jumps. And he says, what, what's happening here? Why is this happening? He said, they're the things you asked me to forgive. They no longer exist. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And John the Apostle, who's seen the day in vision form and has been to the throne room of God and has seen the very throne where this place will take, where this whole thing will take place, and he's seen the book of life, and he's, he's seen what's going to happen. And, and here's what he said. He comes back, and he writes, he writes to the church to get them ready. And he writes in 1 John two things. He says, he says and I'm going to paraphrase it. This is my way of saying it. He said, the goal of every pastor is to get their people to be able to come and, and be at ease on the judgment day. The goal of every pastor is to work feverishly, constantly, and, and get their people to live in the light of the day now and live clean and live in fellowship and live in love Go deep in those things and abstain from the other things that are going to mar our day and be able to stand. And so when your name is called, you're not trembling. You're not afraid. You're not afraid of judgment. You're not afraid of, there's no torment. There's no fear. And you come and you stand and you find that it's absolutely amazing that you're at ease when other people are totally unglued. You're at ease because of the blood of Jesus. You're at ease because You've tried to live as Jesus in the earth. You're at ease because you turned the other cheek. You're at ease because what the film shows is you going after those who treated you, to, who despitefully used you, and you're going after them with bread and grape juice and, 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 and love and saying, brother, brother, let's, let's reconcile. Let's put this beside. Let's bring this under the blood. And the, the, video, the video shows a, a heart that says, I'm after koinia. 
It's precious. It's valuable to me and to God. Nothing else satisfies. I can't go to church per usual. Church doesn't do anything for me. Koinia is what I'm hungry for. Koinia is what I long for. Feel bad for the Christians that treat church like a buffet, that they take this and they like this and I don't like this and I don't feel like that today. I'll take this, I'll do that. When it, it, there's nothing like it. Church, we, we become committed. It's like for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, richer and poorer, we're committed. That's where you start to go deep in the koinia. I, I was in a church one time and I, 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 the people looked like they had just stepped out of an L.L. Bean catalog. They looked sharp. They looked like they had it together. They were nice-looking people until I got to know them. And then I found out they were flawed, that they, were, they had issues, that they were half-baked, that they were substandard in so many other ways. And then the Lord says, now, now is the point. Now that you know that, now is the point where you commit. It's not when they're looking good and you don't know them. And, they, and you find out, and they find out that you're half-baked. They find out you're not whole. And then you decide, look, at none of us are whole. None of us have it together. Let's throw in together. Let's do church. Let's create a church that our children have never seen. Let's, let's create a church like we've always longed for, that's rich in koinia. Because I'm hungry for it, aren't you? I'm hungry for it. Church, church will never satisfy. Now that I've tasted koinia, I'm ruined for anything less. I must, I must have koinia. Amen? And what wrecks it is when I'm judgmental, negative, critical, backbiting, discerning, discerning with the velvet knife where I very nicely just put it in the middle of their back. It's no way to live. I've done it. I hate it. I've done it. It's done no good thing for me. It's robbed me. And I'm not even called to be the judge. I can't. I'm disqualified on so many levels because so often I do the same thing. Let's stand together.